0: I think the transparency that you talk about is in the goals and that we have full transparency. You know, the goal is to pay down the mortgage. Of course, the goal is to buy land in North Carolina. The goal is to save money. The goal, you know, we have clear goals on that. And I think that's the beauty of staying together as a couple. You have to have shared goals and you must have individual goals because you are an individual. You're born as an individual. And if you don't pursue your individual goals, then there's going to be resentment as you age.
1: Like it or not, you, me, and everyone else, we all have a relationship with money. And for the most part, it's a complicated one. My name's Sean Maslick. Welcome to the Most Hated F Word podcast. As a certified financial planner, I want to take you on a journey as we throw out the technical finance books and shift our focus towards our minds, our money, and what matters most. If you're looking to improve your relationship with money and build true wealth, you're in the right spot. Finances does not need to be the most hated F-word. Welcome back to the Most Hated F-word podcast. I am delighted you are here for another week with another fascinating guest. This week, we have financial planner, speaker, author, Elaine King. Before we get into this show, I have a couple things I want to talk about. Number one is if you want to attend a boutique and intimate conference where practitioners, researchers are coming together to talk about the latest research and knowledge around cultivating healthy and thriving relationships with money, I'm going to suggest you come to Denver from October 5th to 8th to the Financial Therapy Association's annual conference. There'll be over 20 amazing speakers. We have three keynote speakers. One is Elaine King, who's my guest today. Todd Cashton, who has written several books, including the wonderful book, The Art of Insubordination. He was a past guest on the podcast. And Antonio Harrison, AKA Coach Doc, who also was a past guest. And we had a fascinating conversation. All three of those keynote speakers will have you thinking deeper about your relationship with money and what is wealth for you and your life. I highly recommend this conference. Again, that's the Financial Therapy Association's conference taking place in Denver, Colorado, October 5th to 8th. I will be there and I look forward to seeing many of you. Also, if you have been enjoying this show, I'd appreciate if you could leave a review. Reviews help us know that we are providing shows, information, and guests that you appreciate, and it also helps bring wonderful guests like Elaine on today. If you have an episode that you think a friend, colleague, or family would like to listen to, please email them that episode. It means a lot to me. So who is Elaine King? Elaine has worked with more than 1,200 families, creating practical and actionable strategies focused on wealth planning, financial education, succession planning, social impact, and family governance. Elaine has really done it all. Elaine has many certifications such as family business advising. She's a CFP. She's also an ambassador for the CFP board. Elaine is the founder president of Family and Money Matters. And since 2012, her mission has been to improve families' human and financial capital to reach financial well-being. She is the author of 8 published books about financial planning. Two of those books, Family and Money Matters Next Gen and La Familia y el Dinero Hecho Fácil, sorry about my pronunciation, but both books won best Latino book award. She is also the author of Saltarin, a children's book pioneering in teaching kids the value of financial planning. This conversation felt so good. You could feel Elaine's energy oozing through the mic all the way from sunny Miami. During our conversation, we talk about many things around our money stories, how our families and cultures impact our money stories and how they're influencing how we think, feel and behave around money. And many occasions, we aren't always aware of it. We talk about the importance of acknowledging how our backgrounds and history and culture are influencing our money stories and how when we take the time to sit with ourselves, we can start to recognize and make sense of our patterns, behaviors, and so forth. Elaine talks about the value of having mentors, money mentors, and she shares some wonderful stories about her grandmother, how she was an incredible mentor to Elaine. Elaine talks about her journey as she continues to evolve. An important word that you will get from this conversation is continues to evolve. You can hear by Elaine's conversation that she certainly doesn't feel like she has arrived. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in accepting and surrendering to that we're always evolving and changing. Elaine shares how she's moved now into a relationship of having peace With her money. And that doesn't necessarily mean having a whole bunch of money in the bank account. Quite the opposite, actually. On that topic, we discuss what is wealth, authentic, true wealth, and how we can improve our financial well being and so much more. I hope you enjoy this fascinating conversation with Elaine King. Elaine, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sean. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too. I think this technology of Zoom is wonderful that I can chat with you all the way from Miami. And I'm here in kind of Northern Canada. And I find it a little fascinating that my temperature is warmer than Miami.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you a little bit of AC, Mike. Yeah,
1: yeah, we were just having a brief conversation before we recorded about temperatures and That's where I found out it's hotter in Edmonton, Alberta than Miami. Anyhow, Elaine, I enjoyed researching your work, the impact you've been having online in preparation for today. Many things I learned, that you're a best-selling author, your work has touched over 15 million people through all the various different channels. You've presented in over 35 cities around the world. You're, You're really making a difference. And I thought before we get into your professional work and the details of that, I thought we could maybe start with getting to know a bit more about who Elaine King is. And I want to start by asking you what significance did your grandma and her love for fashion have on your life?
0: Oh, wow. What a great question. Thank you. My grandma and her love for fashion, it was more so her entrepreneurial spirit and her organization of the finances, she does the envelope method. I don't know if you've heard of it. You know, it was on TikTok for a while. Mm-hmm. And she used to tell me that she wanted to start up a fashion business, but she didn't have enough funds to do it. she She worked for the military army. And with that salary, she she wasn't able to do so. So she went knocking on doors pretty much asking, you know, somebody to lend her the money to launch this fashion business. And she found somebody that believed in her. And lent her, you know, a a small amount of money. And with that, she was able to buy the material and and sell. And she ended up designing wedding dresses and hiring like up to 20 seamstress people. So she was also always a wholesaler. She never had like a boutique or anything like that. But her energy inspired me. I'm not a born entrepreneur. We can talk about that later. But that inspired me when I was in my late 20s. (laughs) And I said, okay, is corporate job forever? Or is there something more to this? And I'm lucky that both of my grandmas were entrepreneurs, actually. The other one was a chemical engineer and a pharmacist. They had several pharmacies. And so, yeah, I come from a a good role models.
1: (laughs) Mm. Thanks for sharing that. And I found it just... Interesting when I read that online and how you really saw your, your grandmothers with such positive light in terms of being a woman and taking control and taking on these entrepreneurship ventures. And what made me start thinking about, and we kind of talked about this before we recorded, how these influences that we have in our lives, whether it's family or not, they start to influence the lens and the perspective on how we think, feel, and believe around money. We call them our money stories, things that we explore quite a bit on this show. I thought we would talk about, if you're willing, your money story and how the cultural impacts in your life have influenced that story. And I find it interesting, at least in Canada and the United States, that I I, I observe, so this is my opinion, it doesn't mean it's right, but at times our financial systems seem to ignore... The fact that we have so many different variety of cultural impacts that really shape who we are from generations ago. And sometimes we just use one-size-fits-all solutions or recommendations for people. And we seem to ignore these, these cultural impacts. So I know you spent a lot of time looking into your money and the emotions that are attached. As you spent time understanding your relationship with money, what did you learn, if anything at all, about yourself and how your culture has influenced your money story.
0: By the way, I'm still learning.
1: Mm. <laughs>
0: it is, it is a, an, yeah. a daily task. So one thing that comes to my mind is debt. How hesitant I am about debt. And I was wondering why. And it's because that story I told about my grandma about asking for a loan, she felt really, really bad about owning the money and wanting to make the money as soon as possible to pay back. But then also the pharmacy, I'm talking about many years ago, 60 years ago, people will go to the corner pharmacy and ask for a loan. You know, I don't have the money. So can you just lend me the money? And my grandparents will, sometimes they will be, you know, working 24 hours because at that time you have to work 24 hours, very tired and saying, you know, all these people owe me money. And so the story that they told my dad was stay away from debt. So my dad told me that same story. And so if you look at my balance sheet, it will be no surprise that I really have no debt. Now, is that good or bad? So I particularly think that it's not good because if you want to be an entrepreneur, you always need to leverage something. And I mean, to be quite honest, and I know this is being recorded and everything, I do have a debt, which is my mortgage, but I have the cash leveraged. So that's my like happy, you know, okay, Lane, you're dead, but you have the cash. So in any moment time, you just have the cash to pay the debt. But I don't like my credit card debt. I get a little antsy when I see, you know, a number or I've gotten, I think, late fees once and I've called. And that was ridiculous, Sean, because I think I was calling for like $10 penalty or something. It took me like 30 minutes. And I was like, (laughs) this is Not the $10. This is a moral, ethical thing. I did (laughs) not, I was not late and I have no balance. So it's something that I have to work on, I'm sure. Because, you know, I could have made more money in the 30 minutes I spend on the phone in the credit card company. But in any case, so that is something that I need to learn because as as an entrepreneur, if I want to keep growing, I need to leverage myself. You can't just ask for, I don't know, spend that savings that you have. But you should leverage yourself as an entrepreneur. So that I'm learning that um, to kind of overcome my ancestors
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: different times. And also saving because coming from Peru, when I was growing up, the inflation was thousand percent up. There was terrorism. There, was, there were bombs. There was scarcity. Didn't matter how much money you had. You had no water. You had no light. So I was a little girl and I learned to save water. Save life, save save money because the currency would change too in a week time. Evaluation and all that stuff. So I think our upbringing helps us a lot to understand where our money behavior comes from. Yeah. And we could change it. You know that. We could change it.
1: <laughs> So the last part, to you really emphasize the understand. It seemed like something felt right for you to say, understand our money behaviors so we can change it. Maybe expand a bit more on your experience with understanding it. I, I know that from experience, it's not the easiest thing. And, and how have you felt or experienced that we can start to change these behaviors?
0: Yeah, so when I was, I think it was five years old or seven, I forgot. My dad gave me my allowance and he told me, Here's a dollar, and you know, you should save 50 cents and then the other 50, you know, spend it, whatever. So I took it at heart. And even in college, I would save, like he would give me $20 and I would save 10. Don't ask me how I survived college, but and then after I graduated, I was also a saver. And then I thought, Well, I can't save 50% anymore. I mean, you have to spend some money. So the understanding component is on allowing yourself. That if your parents told you that, you don't have to take it to heart. You know, maybe I saved 10%. Maybe on a good month, I saved 20%. And maybe on a bad month, I saved zero. And it's okay. Mm-hmm. You don't have to take things literal. Because sometimes when your parents say something, it's almost like a subliminal message that you you must do. And it's unconscious. So you do it without even knowing. And and it can feel guilty, I think, if you don't follow the rule. Because mm-hmm. it's the first seven years of your life, I think, you're shaped and those are the years you spend with your parents. So what I mean by understanding is being conscious about it and taking the leap of change
1: Mm. if you
0: want to change.
1: You know, I I really appreciate your responses here. And at the top of these responses, you said, when we talked about money stories, that you're still learning. And I think that's such a a valuable mindset to adopt is that we're always continuing to evolve and learning, especially when we're trying to learn how to properly dance with our relationship with money. And this idea of understanding, i th- again, I speak from experience, can be quite difficult because there's that guilt that you talked about. And often with guilt comes fear. When your work with emotions and money, whether it's your professional work that you've started to identify these, these correlations or personally, as you started to try to understand what fears around money came up and how did you, if anything at all, maybe not, and if there were, how did you deal with those financial fears and did you learn any lessons from them?
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, definitely. Because my first seven years, I mean, part in Canada, <laughs> but part in Peru, there's always a fear of high inflation, terrorism, Instability, scarcity, no water, no light. Of course, even though I'm an adult and I know consciously that's very, that's very difficult. Although, I mean, 9 11 did happen in the US, but you know, it's very difficult that that would happen altogether in the US. Mm-hmm. It is possible, but not probable. So that would be my fear. I don't have a trauma from it, but I know how bottom looks like and I know how it feels like. So I definitely always, I mean, in Spanish, there's a saying, say para mayo, which is you, you save our bread for May and you, you always have to save something. And right now, this is a perfect scenario. We have jobs. There's no jobs. We have recession. We have no recession. I don't want this to be a political podcast, but we can't depend on the government. We have to be responsible for ourselves. So the biggest fear is not to be able to have health to provide for myself. Because I know that as long as I have my mind and my health, I can do this. But I guess the biggest fear is that I hit my head, God forbid, tomorrow. And, you know, that's where a financial planner comes to mind. You need to have all your mechanisms. But that's that's the fear, not to have health and not to have the stamina. I work at it every day. I mean, you wake up every day is a different, is a new life. So I wake up, I meditate, I affirm, I journal, I listen to my motivational videos and you know, it's a blank piece of paper every day. So you, that, I guess the biggest fear is wake up one day and not be able to, you know, that that stamina not there. And you touched a little bit upon the um, the fear, but also I, I don't know why I thought about anxiety. When I was doing my postgraduate family therapy, I remember the teacher saying, depression is anxiety untreated. So when I start feeling anxious, her voice comes back to mind and it's like, okay, Lane, snap out. Go for a walk, stop what you're doing, listen to, you know, classical music, get up, eat something you like, nap out of it. Because once you get into a depression, which, I mean, I haven't, you know, thank God, it's hard to get out. So you don't want to get depressed Mm -hmm. (laughs) out of money and something that you can control.
1: Thank you for that. It's just so fascinating that as you're explaining your story and experience, of the financial fears growing up in Peru or the instability is that it just comes to, I guess it helps us understand that we all have these different stories and say that I was a financial planner meeting you and you weren't taking out debt. If I was to say, Hey, you should be really taking out debt. And if I didn't take the time to be curious to understand your story, you know, that could really have a, you, you probably wouldn't come see me again. So I think the message I'm really getting is to, hold some space to really understand that people, we all have different stories, would influence our behaviors.
0: Oh, absolutely. And as a financial planner, I get this question all the time. I'm sure you do too. Should I pay my house or should Mm -hmm. I buy another house? Should I pay down my debt? I have a little money. Should I pay down my debt or should I buy another house? I try to put myself in the position and say, what does having a full paid house mean to you? What does debt mean to you? As a matter of fact, I have some money cards that, talk about what does debt mean to you is this a mechanism to grow a mechanism to an obligation is it a pain like what does debt mean to you because if we don't know that then how can we give advice just based on ourselves I can't put myself (laughs) into your position I don't know maybe well not maybe you definitely came like you said in another podcast you know you came from different parents so definitely have different money stories and debt means definitely something different to you.
1: Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. You could see that you embody empathy and I'm sure your clients feel that when they're talking to you.
0: Oh, thank
1: you. <laughs> it makes me think of like this whole idea of how money and why we're not like we need it obviously for, for our necessities and our fixed expenses, but our lenses again are shaped by our cultural our parents generations that came before us that help us interpret what this word means wealth i'm curious for yourself on the surface it might seem like a simple question but i actually think it's quite introspective question on what is wealth as we sit to re- actually reflect on what is wealth in our lives so in this chapter of your life story what does wealth mean to you
0: for me it means balance and i'll t- i'll explain with the story i was i guess Solicited by a recruiter early this year to move from Miami to work for a billion dollar company with a million dollar compensation. And I had to take a deep breath and really put in the balance time, time and money. I mean, it sounds like cliche, but it is. Like, I have my mom that lives half a block from me, my dad has several apartments, a couple, a couple in the same building that my mom lives. You know, I have a beautiful park. I live in a dead end on the water. I have three bodies of water around me. So I live in peace and that doesn't have a price. So for me, wealth is balance. Balance that I can do what I want and serve who I, who I need to serve or who I want to serve. I think that's wealth. Not that definition when I was in my 20s, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted the six-figure paycheck and I was going to get it no matter what. (laughs) That was wealth for me. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And in my 30s, it was flying. Flying? (laughs) When I turned 30, I I learned to fly. Like ultralights. Really? Yeah. I love to fly ultralights. Wow. And get my scuba diving license. My Because… I don't know, in Canada, I'm sure it's like here too. But when I was in Uganda in in the Red Sea, they wouldn't let me die without a certification. Yeah. And I was like, come on, I came all the way from Peru, please. I mean, I it was Miami, but, you know, I was like, please. And then they were like, okay, okay, we'll let you, but just this time, but next time you uh, need uh, an open certification. Yeah. I said, I promise, I promise I will get one. And I got one. But yeah, so those were, I guess, wealth for me. At that time was knowledge and now it's balance.
1: Very, very interesting. Wow. My mind is going in a few different directions, but um, I feel like you would have had to really establish that definition of wealth personally in order to make that decision and not ruminate on it. What do you think specifically changed from that person in the twenties to now that you were able to make that decision? And I don't know if you ruminate on it on it, but the way you you talked about that story, it doesn't seem like there's too much residual thought to that decision of not taking that job.
0: No, I was actually very proud about it to have, I don't know, the luck, I guess, to take the luxury of saying, thank you, but no, thank you. Sean, I think it has to do a little bit with, in my 20s, I was very lucky because I started a position as director of financial planning. Most of my positions were created in a trust company, working with thousands of families. And I had the luck to work with people in their 60s and 70s. And they were my coaches and my mentors, and they were family systems experts. And one of them said to me, Okay, Elaine, I know you're going to do your first presentation, to." It was Tiger 21. Tiger 21 is like this millionaires club. There are 170 members. And I was so nervous because I was going to talk to the women. One of my coaches, Lee Hausner, she lives in California. She said, Elaine, don't worry about it. You have to talk about wealth to these women divided in four capitals. And Jay Hughes talks a lot about this four capitals. It's financial, human, intellectual, and social. And so from the start of my career, I grew up thinking and knowing or believing that wealth was more than just money. It was all the intellectual capital that you have, all the community impact that you can make, and also the human connection that you have with your family. Finance is one of them. And And I remember telling Lee. Oh my God, I'm going to be so nervous. I'm going to blank out. And I and she's like, don't worry, Lane. Remember fish. And I said, fish. Okay. So I was in front of 160 women in, in like a townhouse in New York, in Manhattan. And I blanked out. The CEO <laughs> introduces me. This is Lane King. And I was like, I looked down and I was like, Shh. And then I remember fish.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Financial, intellectual, uh-huh. social, and human capital. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, And you have to deposit in those four accounts all the time in order to be wealthy. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what successful families are all about. Not just money. I mean, I I have so many stories to tell you. I had an opportunity to write a book for a billionaire in Spain. They said, Elaine, I want you to write it because you've written eight books. Can you write it and interview him? And I said, okay, tell me about it. He's divorced. His kids don't talk to him. He has a lot of money. He's a billionaire. One of the top families in Spain. When can you start? And I said, no. I don't think I could do that. I don't think he's successful. How can he be successful? He's talked to his wife. His kids don't talk to him. Maybe he's a business success, but not as a person. Maybe his business is successful. But I can't write about that. It's He doesn't have the fish.
1: Mm. <laughs> Your stories are… Fascinating, and you could see just how clear you are on this idea of fish or your definition of wealth that you can turn down these opportunities because you know a lot of us and myself included, when these big opportunities come, whatever big is for us, there's that ego part of us that are really like, "Yeah, yeah, 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 I want to do it. I want to be this is going to validate my worth, but I could see and sense the work you've done on yourself to really be clear on. Wow. No, what is wealth to Elaine?
0: Yeah, I mean, heck, yeah, i give you another story, the third story.
1: Yes, please. Um,
0: I met this very wealthy person because I work a lot with family businesses in Latin America. I remember I was having breakfast with him in a hotel in Miami, and he was telling me, you know, can, can I work with you? Or can we work together? Yes, of course. But my wife doesn't know my salary, doesn't know I have a hidden account, and I have this, and you know how, like laughing, mm-hmm. you know, like I was, I have to go along with it. Mm. And I said, excuse me, I have to tell you full disclaimer. I am a very for transparency between couples. I actually come on TV and talk about communication between husband and wife. And so I can't just sit here and listen to you talk about that and you know agree that I'm in agreement with you, which I you know you're gonna turn around and see me on CNN, maybe <laughs> talking <laughs> about the importance of couple transparency. So I guess when you Become like you as a public figure, wanted or not. You know, you want to help the community, you become a public figure. You need to, one needs to be very clear with their values.
1: Mm. You're making me think of um, the Financial Therapy Association that you're going to be one of the keynote speakers. Another keynote speaker is Todd Cashton. He has been on the podcast and he recently wrote a book called uh, The Art of Insubordination. And the idea is how to go, kind of go against the the norm, whatever the norm is, in a, what he calls principled rebel manner. So, doing it respectfully, doing it with integrity. But he says a key to a principled rebel, which I consider you you definitely are a principled rebel, <laughs> is consistency. And that's what I'm hearing you talk about your consistency, where you didn't sit with this gentleman and just continue on appeasing him. You're like, no. I I believe in this transparency. Like yeah. I said, you're going to see me on CNN. So I just appreciate that consistency in your messaging.
0: Not like uh, some presidents that they <laughs> they say something and then like, the video from 10 years before saying something else. Yeah.
1: Even if it's a message that we don't agree, there's something that I feel like we can appreciate when someone is consistent in their overall messaging. I don't think, that, you know, I can never agree fully with people, but I do when I recognize that they they are consistent in their belief. They're not just trying to say the flavor of the week. There's some merit to that. Yeah. You bring up an interesting point that whether it's this very wealthy, financially wealthy guy in Miami, hiding accounts from his wife or our everyday couple who might not have transparency within their relationships. What have you seen and learned, A, the detriments of not being fully transparent, and communicating with finance amongst couples, and then what, what? On the other side, what benefits have you seen that couples can have when they are transparent?
0: Well, I think I think one needs to understand first the personality of the spouse, and usually in love, opposites attract. So, I full disclaimer: I'm a saver. My husband is a spender, very good at it, and I'm very good at my at my craft. <laughs> so, we have to protect each other because if he doesn't how do you say, promote the beauty of having a house versus a studio, (laughs) I would be living fully paid on a studio, probably. And, you know, I live in a beautiful house, thanks to him, because he's more risk. And thanks to me, we have a retirement account. We need to understand where our strengths and weaknesses lie. So not to hide from each other's stuff, but protect each other from things, yes. So yes, we have a common account and then we put all the money that we need to support that household. But then, you know, if he gets a bonus or I get a bonus, then it's up to me if I want to take him on a travel or if it's up to him, if he wants to spend, you know, like the saving part and the spending part, we take turns. We, we have our own roles and responsibilities for that. We don't come and go everything. We right. come and go some things. But I think The transparency that you talk about is in the goals and that we have full transparency. You know, the goal is to pay down the mortgage. Of course, the goal is to buy land in North Carolina. The goal is to save money. The goal, you know, we have clear goals on that. The goal is to, you know, buy uh, an electric car. You know, we have common goals. And I think that's the beauty of staying together as a couple. You have to have shared goals and you must have individual goals. You have to have shared goals and you must have individual goals. Ah,
1: so there's an emphasis on both of these words. Can you elaborate on why is there must and you have to?
0: Yeah, you have to have shared goals if you want to stay together. Because if you don't have a shared dream, then it's kind of sad not to. I mean, why are you together? You have to have a shared dream. But you must have an individual goal because you are an individual. You're born as an individual and if you don't pursue your individual goals, then you, there's going to be resentment mm. as you age and wanting to pitch in in that must-have goal and then ignore your individual goal. I know because I work with a, a lot of families and I have 60-year-old women, they stopped dreaming. They wanted to do X, Y, and Z and they all their time they gave it to the must-have goal and they forgot their individual goals and they wish they would have not. So I think you you have to have both.
1: Yeah. Your response is making me think of this book called Us by Terry Real. It's a great book about sh- shared goals is making me think about it, but the us of a relationship. So when partners think about the group as an us, but what I'm hearing you say is there's no us if there's no me underneath, so to speak. Like if I have resentment <laughs> around, if I have resentment around, I can't do anything that I aspire because I don't have any financial goals personally, then I think I'm hearing you say it's hard then to fully buy into those share goals.
0: Yes. I mean, that's my belief. Again, I've tried to, not tried to, but I've communicated this with some of my girlfriends and some of them said, Elaine, you know, it makes a lot of sense. I wish I heard you before I got married. It's too late now because, you know, we came off nothing and we commingled everything. And now if I want to do an individual goal, My husband's going to think I want to leave him, but I don't. So I think it should be the base. That's what I believe. Because just to be an independent person, you are with a person because you want to, not because you depend on them.
1: That's right. I feel like I hear your grandma coming out of you right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Strong. (laughs) Strong woman. Yes.
1: Out of curiosity, what's uh, North Carolina, the aspirational goal of having land there? Is it a nice place? I've never been there.
0: Yeah, I should have said Blue Mountains because I'm between Georgia and North Carolina. So there's a lot of reasons why. One of them is the elevation component. I live on like sea level yeah. <laughs> right now. And I think I need to just leverage. But also because I live in the water, I I miss the mountains. And the closest mountains from Miami are in Georgia. And they're called the Blue Mountains, which they share the border with North Carolina. North Carolina has the highest PhD per capita and the most beautiful golf courses. It's pretty civilized city. There's Asheville, Biltmore, etc. Georgia is a little more open fields, more relaxed state. So they're almost opposite in terms of political views. Mm. Just to give you an idea, I've been told that in Georgia you need to, they won't sell you land. If you don't have a gun. So that's why I was considering North Carolina. Because I don't want all my neighbors to have guns. But Georgia is beautiful. So that's why I said consciously North Carolina. But it's more expensive. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just have to weigh my odds. Pros and cons. And if I have to have a gun, I guess. <laughs> I'll keep it in the box. <laughs>
1: these, are, these are pro and con things that we don't have on our list in Canada. <laughs> No, that doesn't. Um, no, no, that that one's not on ours. But uh, again, our backgrounds, our our environments, influence how we think. So you
0: should go. It's beautiful.
1: I will. I will one day. I will go see the blue mountains. We have beautiful mountains, Ryan, but uh, they're not North Carolina mountains. So we've been talking about your evolution and your changing perspective on what wealth is, and it brings us to this idea that I've heard you write about online about financial well-being. And this is another term similar to wealth where, you know, it's got loose interpretations depending on your current philosophy or perspective on money. So what is financial well-being according to your perspective? And I've seen you talk about strategies or stepping stones in order to achieve that level of financial well-being. Could you share with, again, start off with what is, according to Elaine, financial well-being? And then what are some strategies or stepping stones that we can take?
0: Yeah, so thanks for that question. Financial well-being, I think, describes a lot of who I am. When I wrote my first book, Family and Money Made Easy, I remember an, an interviewer said, Oh, Elaine, you must be a gazillionaire. Teach me how to make money. And I said, it's not about having all the money in the world. It's just having peace with yourself, that money has a purpose. So after that book, I wrote The Seven Money Colors, which is The Seven Steps to Financial well-being, because I was like, I think I need to be a little more clear on my purpose. They're actually colors. And it's the first one is your values. It's who you are with money, who you want to be with money, the first step. And it's purple because purple is you know, clarividencia, you can say it more beautifully in English, clarividencia, whatever it's called.
1: <laughs> it sounded much better in Spanish than what I would be able <laughs> and, to say.
0: <laughs> thank you. And the second one is your goal, right? Which is blue. And then the third one is your organization. Everybody has a different style. And then the fourth one is how you gather money. You can save it, you can whatever. And then the other one is how you manage debt. <laughs> how do you use it as a tool, then it's how you grow it. Because I noticed that a lot of people, it's not just investing. You can't just tell everybody, oh yeah, let's do a portfolio. No, because maybe for them, their definition is real estate or definition is business. And I think we all come with a different life purpose and we can't fit everybody in the same mold. So we got to navigate around it. So if it's Real estate, maybe we can convince them to do REIT. Or if it's impact, we do impact investing. That type of stuff. And then it's giving and protecting. So similar to the fish, I guess I have a fish set with a seven words. <laughs> I should come up with an acronym, actually. I should come up with an acronym because those yeah. they're seven. And somebody who was a very spiritual person said, Oh my God, those are the seven chakras. And I said, ah. I didn't think about that, but… Sure, and they have colors and everything. So, you know, we have seven chakras, seven energy. And I think we need to feed all seven of them. And it's not about buying a helicopter. It's about, you know, having peace with yourself. Having health, it's financial being, financial health.
1: You know, you, right off the start, you said having peace. And I think that in and of itself is financial wellness, well-being. When you can have peace with your relationship with money. Like you said, it's always evolving. At the top, you said that we're always learning, but just have that peace. Whereas this Spanish, I don't know, the Spanish billionaire that you talked about, maybe he doesn't have peace and it's a constant. Or not him, I don't want to pick on him. Just some people don't actually. They might have all the money in the world, but they're constantly ruminating. They need more and more and more.
0: Yeah, financial peace, financial well-being, financial health, and it changes for everybody. Mm -hmm. Some people, financial peace is... $100 $100 and some people it's a $100 billion. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, that, that's really fascinating, the different colors you have picked. And yeah, if you have a resource, they definitely will share it. So as we hear more about yourself and the impact you're having and a bit about your life story, I can't help but notice that in its own sense, you're continuing this legacy that you're We started off with your grandma and her story of stepping out and borrowing money and trying to make a difference. And I could see that she was some sort or some version of a mentor to you. And it it seems to me that your grandmother taught you and perhaps other people in her lives that we can, especially women, can step out and have the confidence to know that they can provide for their families. But I observe you now, because I've seen you on the TV shows on like you have a lot of nice clips online, on national broadcast. It seems as you're assuming that mentorship role for many females and Hispanic females, as you're giving them now that voice that your your mother gave you. And I was doing some just research, and the Latino population is growing in the U.S., according to the McKinsey Company research, at a, a very exponential rate in the United States. And so much so, it, it is reported like 30, 30% of the labor force in 2060 will be Latinos. So I guess my my question is, and you seem like a very humble person, so I'm sorry if I'm putting you on the spot, but what what is it like to look back at your journey to now see, you went from this like mentee from your grandma to now a mentor for... A whole new generation of Latinos who are trying to navigate their own relationships with money.
0: I think the word is adaptable. Somebody the other day said, you always did more than was expected. What do you think of that? And I said that I'm highly adaptable. Because I never saw myself as a minority, but I was different. Definitely Wall Street. (laughs) Starting my career at 20, (laughs) there was no job for me. It was just a favor of an interview that they were giving me. And I they think just I read that
1: they got a bonus for hiring you. Is
0: they did, <laughs> and they hired me just because I spoke Spanish and somebody was calling in Spanish and it turned out it was a wrong number. I mean, they hired me, and then that same Spanish person called and they were like, "We don't know, it's just an investor." And I was like, <laughs> "No, it's the wrong number, but thanks for the job, by the way." <laughs> so I guess yeah, like not be victim, but be an opportunist mm. about it. Different is cool and adding some spice to things is is always welcome, I think. You know, I always go by the law of Darwin. I love that scientist, you know, the one that survives is not the fittest, but the, the the one that adapts is not the strongest, but the one that adapts the fastest. And and I think we we should all strive for that because if we can adapt fast, we we can survive successfully and not survive, but just thrive successfully. I think that's that's what it is. I don't consider myself yet a mentor. Maybe I am a silent mentor to other women. I wish I, I could put my flag in the in the moon and say, yes, I am, but I don't consider myself there yet. I'm still working on it. <laughs> but yeah, I think I'm I'm following my the women and my in my family. and being different is is cool, I think. I learned that in Canada, by the way. I had friends oh. from everywhere when I used to live there. There's so much diversity in Canada mm-hmm. and everybody is cool. And everybody, you know, there's so much multicultural stuff. Learning about each other's strengths and weaknesses, I think it's, is a key. And for finance too, I would encourage everybody to, to look back at their parents and grandparents' stories around the table. Ask them that question. How is money? Tell me about those stories. And that's gives us a glimpse of who we become and how we can change it. Did I answer your question? Or you did, did, I go on
1: you <laughs> did. And I appreciate uh, that answer. And I can see, I, I just really appreciate how you continuously come back to like, you're still evolving as someone who is outside of you. I can observe that my observation is maybe you've arrived, but the beauty in it is that you're continuously moving forward. Even, uh, the individuals who I was collaborating with, coming up with the keynote speakers for the Financial Therapy Association, spoke highly of you, and I would say in a mentor perspective. So anyhow.
0: I'm getting some points. Yes. <laughs> I still need a lot more.
1: <laughs> uh, someone once told me that life is an aspirational journey like with a mountain without a top where we're always aspiring and never arriving, and you really embody that. And,
0: Oh, thank you. That's so beautiful.
1: Yeah. Let's say you're at end of life. You're maybe in North Carolina, somewhere that brings you peace. And you're sitting on a front porch and you're looking out at the mountains, lake, the ocean, whatever it is. And you're just at total peace. You're sitting on this porch and you decide to write a letter to, I don't know. Do you have children? Mm-mm. No, you decide just to write a letter to my goddaughter
0: your goddaughter, my godson.
1: <laughs> and your godson's children about what you learned about having a happy, healthy relationship with money, what would be a theme to that letter?
0: Oh, wow. Freedom.
1: Freedom. Okay. Freedom.
0: Freedom. Freedom and knowledge. The same comes to mind, which is, I may say it wrong, but if a bird flies or an eagle. Do you want to be more romantic? An eagle flies not because they have wings, but because they, they are confident they can fly. They know they can fly, not because they have the wings. So knowledge and freedom. Definitely to to fulfill your purpose. And I, I guess that would be another question. I know you said one thing, but I would say okay. freedom, knowledge, and purpose.
1: Freedom, knowledge, Definitely and
0: purpose. Definitely purpose. I mean, money without purpose is… I don't know. I don't know what it is because I, I have a purpose. money, <laughs> But yeah, I invite everybody to to have a purpose for their money. And it's not buying something material. <laughs> Hint. <laughs>
1: Thank you. I I really find your answers insightful. I I am confident our listeners will as well. Where can people find all of your eight books information about you, point people to where you would like them to go find Elaine King?
0: Cool. So for the first time in history, I have a website with my name and it's elaineking.com. So if you type elaineking.com, you're going to see my new website. It doesn't even have one month. Oh. So stop by and let me know what you think of it because it took me a long time.
1: <laughs> I I was on that quite a bit over the last week. It looks really good.
0: Yes, it flows. <laughs> yes, it does. What a concept. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, thank you so much. We'll include that in the show notes. And if you want to send me anything else, we'll include it as well. But thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're busy and I appreciate you spending the last hour with us.
0: Thank you, Sean. I appreciate you so much. And I look forward to seeing you in person.
1: Yes, me too. And I'll anyone else who comes. I'll be for you. <laughs> 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 Vice versa. Without a
0: talk, my wealth is measured and now I spend my time. But now I read free- Story with every breath inhale
1: Money is not the boat of life, it's just the win in the sale.